Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. The hidden trinity was with them all along through their exodus. There was manna from heaven, that's the bread of life. Jesus was there all along. There was water from the rock. The Holy Spirit was there gushing forth from the side of the rock. So manna and the rock, the rock is Jesus. The water gushing out is the Holy Spirit. They're hidden all along. But because of their woundedness and their brokenness and their pain of 400 years, they're hardened. They're broken. And their hearts became so hardened that their eyes became dry. And that means they were so hard-hearted that they couldn't even cry anymore. Have you ever had that happen to you? Someone wounded you, someone hurt you so bad, and you just, you become almost hard-hearted, and you almost can't even cry anymore about it, because you're, mm. They were trying. They were tired of crying out to the Lord, and they were tired of trusting him for everything, and they're just tired of this manna, and they're just tired, and they're tired, and they can't even cry anymore, and they're getting harder and harder and harder. None of that generation will make it to the promised land. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, they will make it. They're the only ones. Pharaoh's heart was so hardened by God. And their hearts had become hardened too. Now in John's gospel, we see the hearts of the scribes and Pharisees are getting harder and harder and harder and harder by Jesus. And he's doing all these wonderful works that no one else has ever done. And they're getting harder and harder and harder. They would not believe. Whoever hates me hates the Father. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen. They hate both me and my Father. It was to fulfill the word that's written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, that's written in the Psalms twice. And I can imagine Jesus, like any good Jewish man, would pray the Psalms. And he's praying, and he prays Psalm 38. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Then you pray Psalm 69. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many of my enemies without cause, they seek to destroy me. Jesus had performed wondrous signs, wondrous miracles, at least 40 recorded that no one else had ever done. He's born of a virgin. He changes water to wine. He heals a paralyzed man. He heals, he raises, resurrects the widow of Nain's son, all these things. Will you believe now, people? Will you believe now? I did all these things. Will you believe now? No, we won't believe. You are not the Messiah. Well, then let me do some more. Let me raise Jairus' daughter. Let me heal a 38-year-old invalid. Let me feed 5,000 of you. Let me, let me walk on the water. How about if I heal a man that was born blind? No, we won't believe. Okay, well, how about if I, you know, he, he does all of these things. What if I raise Lazarus from the dead? He has a stench. He's been, he's been rotting for four days. What if I do that? What if I raise myself from the dead? What if I send back to my body? Will you believe that? No. No. We want to kill you. <laughs> we won't believe. They have seen, and they've hated both me and my father. They hated me without a cause. Now, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who comes from the father, he's going to testify on my behalf. And you also are going to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. He's saying this to the apostles. It was a criteria of an apostle to be with him from the beginning. 
God does not want us to get hard-hearted or unbelieving. And that's sometimes hard with the conditions of life and things that have happened in our lives. And when our lives don't go the way we wanted them to or the way we thought they would. We can get hard-hearted and we can get unbelieving, but he wants us soft-hearted. And the way to stay soft-hearted is to be full of the Holy Spirit. Soft-hearted means to be kind and compassionate. And some of these synonyms are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Kind, gentle, generous, merciful. Soft-heartedness is something that Ezekiel spoke of. A new heart I'm going to give you. A new spirit I will put within you. I'm going to remove from your body a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A soft, supple heart. Sometimes the conditions of life make our hearts get hard. And it's scary. We don't want a hard heart. Even in the medical world, you don't want a hard physical heart because it's called hardening of the arteries. And and your arteries get narrow and they get full of heart plaque. And you could die because you can have a heart attack. It kills the heart. And same in the spiritual. You don't want a hard heart that's all clogged up. Jesus is the true vine. And we are the branches. And the sap that runs through Jesus the vine is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit keeps those branches soft. And a soft branch is good. Those brittle, hard branches that need to be pruned off. You want to be a soft, green, vibrant branch full of the Holy Spirit that's not hard and brittle, that the sap of the Holy Spirit's running through you, coursing through your veins as you're taking from Jesus through the Holy Spirit to go back to the Father. That's what Jesus is, the true vine full of the Holy Spirit helping us get back to the Father. Now Jesus says, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. And we've already seen that in John chapter 9. When Jesus healed that man that was born blind from birth and his parents got really scared, they were afraid of the Jews because what if they get put out of the synagogue? If you get put out of the synagogue, you have no livelihood. You, you can't trade with anyone. You can't eat with anyone. You can't be with anyone. You can't talk to anyone. You are cut off. So they were afraid. The Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents say, hey, he's of age. Ask him yourself. Remember that? And in John chapter 12, many, even the authorities, believed in him, in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. For fear. For fear that what? They'd be put out of the synagogues. Their life would be over. They'd be cut off. They had fear, and fear is not of the Lord, but they were fearful. Fear has two meanings. Ready? Number one, forget everything and run. (laughs) Or number two, face everything and rise. Face everything and rise. Rise from the dead. Be part of the resurrection. Be one of those bodies that cracks through and rises forever to eternity with Jesus. Do not be afraid. Whatever comes, cling to the cross, cling to the vine. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. I said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. They will. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing so as an offering of worship to God. What? Those who kill you? You didn't tell us about that. We didn't know that was part of the contract. We didn't know they're going to kill us. Can you imagine this night? This is a night like none other, what he's telling them tonight. Well, that will happen. They will kill them. They drug Stephen out of the city. He's the first one to die. And they stone him and they lay their coats at the feet of someone named Saul. 
An hour is coming when those who kill you are going to think they're doing it as an offering of worship to God. That's what Saul thought. I'm a Jew of all Jews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was trained by Gamaliel. I'm, you know, I'm really all that. I'm doing this all for God. Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. It was a severe persecution that began against the church in Jerusalem. And Saul wasn't just getting people who were on the street confessing Jesus. He was going to homes, home by home, ravaging the church, dragging out men and women and committing them to prison. Because they have not known the Father or me, they're going to do this. But I've said these things to you so that when the hour comes, you'll remember that I told you about this. So they must have remembered Jesus' words, especially when they were illuminated with the Holy Spirit. We know that Ananias certainly did when he was asked to go baptize Saul. The Lord came to him and said, I would like you to go baptize Saul. And he, not me, Lord. And, and the Lord says, yes, yes, he's an instrument. I've chosen him. I need you to go baptize him. Go lay your hands on him. And he obeys. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way home has sent me that you may regain your sight and be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell off his eyes, and he was restored, and he got up and was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit by Ananias. And for several days, Paul stayed there in Damascus and immediately began to proclaim Jesus and confess with his lips that he is the Son of God. And all who heard him said, isn't this the guy that was wreaking havoc? Isn't this the one we're supposed to be petrified of? Isn't this the one we're scared of? Saul became increasingly more powerful. He confounded the Jews. He was proving With his arguments, he was good at this, that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Now, tonight, they don't want Jesus to leave. He's doing all this talk about he's going to leave, he's going to leave, he's going back, and they don't want him to leave. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, because if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I did not say these things to you from the beginning. I didn't tell you right off the bat. Because I was with you. And we were together. And you were in union with me. And it was fine. But now I'm going away. I'm going back to the one who sent me. So i got to be truthful. i got to tell you this. But none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, this night has taken a turn in emotions. He's washed their feet. He's a too fine. Everything's great. Now, sorrow. Sorrow has filled their hearts. And they, they had asked him earlier in this discourse. Jesus said to Thomas, you know the way. You know the place I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How, how are we going to find the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, then you'll know my father also. And from now on, you do know him. You've seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the father. And that's all we need. We'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, I've been with you all this time, Philip. And you still don't know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the advocate can't come. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now, by the time Jesus has ascended back to the right hand of the Father, he has the wounds in his hands, in his side. The job is done, though. The job of redemption is done. It's not done until he gets back up there in union with the Father. 
You know, he can give little bits of the Spirit, like he can have that private Pentecost on Easter night with his ten in that upper room, but he, got, he, he needs to get back to the Father so he can sit down, Hebrew says. When he sits down at the right hand of the Father, the job of redemption is over. Now, together, they can unleash the Holy Spirit on the world and illuminate our minds. The Spirit of Truth will illuminate our minds that everything he said, everything the prophet said is true. If I don't go away, the advocate can come. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. So the job of redemption is completed by Jesus being reunited with the Father at his right hand, and then the Holy Spirit can be released to indwell believers. And that's new. No one had ever been indwelled by the living God. But that's how we get our divinity back. We get indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and through Jesus we go back to the Father and become a partaker of his divinity again. We lost that. Jesus condescends down to earth, takes on humanity, and through that picks us up in our humanity and lifts us by the Holy Spirit back to divinity with the Father. It can't be done without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now there's something called the filioque, and that's Latin that means end from the Son. It's a Latin term that was added to the Nicene Creed. There have been a lot of creeds trying to explain the Trinity over the years, but filioque has long been the subject of great controversy between the East and West. Eastern Orthodoxy and Western Catholicism. The Latin term filioque describes a double procession of the Holy Spirit, and it's translated in English and the Son. So in our creed at Sunday, we'll say this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. But in the East... They only use Father. They only say that the Spirit proceeds from the Father. And, and for the East, this term implies a serious underestimation of the Father's role. But for us in the West, it seems like a denial of what is a very serious underestimation of the role of the Son in the Trinity. And so we're still fighting about Trinity doctrine in the believers. And Pope John Paul II urged the Catholic Church breathe with two lungs, the East and West, that we come together. And there's been a lot of healing in these last few popes meeting with the Eastern Church and trying to heal on some of these issues. Does the Holy Spirit just proceed from the Father or does he proceed from the Father and the Son? We're still fighting over that. We're still divided over that. And this is the spirit of truth and the spirit of unity, so we all speak the same language. Jesus knew this was going to be a problem. We'll see that next week when he has the high priestly prayer. But the recent popes are praying that we breathe with two lungs again. The word Trinity is never, ever found in the Bible. The first one who used it was Tertullian. He lived from 155 to 240. He was from Carthage, Africa. At first, the church rejected him as a heretic. But later, the church admitted that his teachings were orthodox. But I love this quote from him. The first reaction to truth is hatred. Let that soak in a minute. The first reaction to truth is hatred. Maybe you've tried to tell your kids some truth. Maybe you've tried to tell some family members some truth. They hated me, they'll hate you. Rejoice and be glad. The first reaction to truth is hatred. And the spirit of truth convicts us. And we don't want to be convicted right now. And we don't want to change right now because I kind of enjoy my sins. They're kind of pleasurable, you know. Just later, maybe. Don't be convicted of me right now. Go away. Various creeds were created in reaction 
to disagreements over the nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these have taken centuries to resolve. Some aren't resolved yet. But I do love St. Gregory. He's a doctor of the church. 390 is when he died. This is what he said. St. Gregory would say to of the Trinity, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I'm illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish the three than I'm carried back into the one. And when I think of any of the three, I think of him as a whole, and my eyes are filled, filled with tears. And the greater part of what I am thinking escapes me, and I can't grasp the greatness of one so as to attribute a greater greatness to the rest. And when I contemplate the three together, I see one torch and cannot divide or measure out this undivided light. I like how he says that. Jesus says when he comes, the spirit of truth, he's going to prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you're not going to see me anymore. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. And who is the ruler of this world? The condemner himself, Satan. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. This is how I feel sometimes at Seeking Truth. I have many things to say to you guys, but you can't bear it right now because it's like 10 o'clock. You know? <laughs> when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. And for this reason, I said that he's going to take what's mine and declare it to you. We're going to get the inheritance. We're going to get the birthright and the blessing. Who is this spirit of truth? He was in the Old Testament in shadows. He was right there in the first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and a wind from God. A ruha, a breath of God. The spirit of God, says the King James Version. The spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God spoke. When God speaks, that's the word. And that's Jesus Christ. God spoke the word. And God said, let there be light. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then God said in Genesis 1, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Who is he talking to? It's plural. Because he's a trinity. Because he's a relationship. Because he's love. And he said, let us, let see, the man has become like one of us. And when he recreated, after he destroyed the world with a flood, he sent out a dove. And that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. And the dove brought an olive branch of peace, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's like the psalmist says, Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. This was a new creation. But then the people wanted to make a name unto themselves, and they built a tall tower named Babel. And God said, oh, let us go down again. Let us go down. Come on, guys. Let's go down and confuse their language so they don't understand one another's speech. But on Pentecost, when he poured out the Holy Spirit, he reversed that and united all their languages as one. And it's a language of love that everyone could understand, and it's the spirit of truth. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he united them in a language of love and truth that all human beings have the same Father, God. And there were more shadows in the Trinity. One of the most prominent and one that the Jews miss is when the Lord came to Abram by the Oaks of Mamre in Genesis chapter 18. And Abraham saw what? Three men. 
ah, the divine number three. They visited Abraham, the father of our faith. And he saw three men and, and he fell down to his face and he just bowed prostrate. And he knew this was something big. These were some big visitors. And he, this painting shows him washing their feet and giving them ultimate hospitality. Sarah, Sarah, kill the, kill the lamb, kill the lamb, make some bread. And we see in the catacombs, the early Christians figured it out real quick. This was Trinity. They painted it on the wall. This is Trinity. Because the Holy Spirit had illuminated their mind and they could understand all these things now. Father Pavlov, who's a Russian Orthodox priest, says this, that Rublov's Trinity exists, therefore God exists. What does he mean by that? Rublov's Trinity exists, therefore God exists. Well, Rublov is a phenomenal Irish icon writer, and he's a venerable in the Orthodox Church and the Anglican Church. Some of his works in the 1400, the Theotokos of Vladimir, Christ the Redeemer by Rublov, the St. Michael by Rublov, and his most famous one of Genesis 18, the Trinity visits Abraham. And I want to talk about this one a little bit to help us understand all the prayer that went into writing this icon. They're in doxological order, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father on the left, the Son in the middle, and the Spirit on the right. They all have on some blue, and the blue signifies they come from heaven and they're divine. And then the Father has a gold overlay because over his blue garment because he's the origin of the Godhead. And the Son has a red garment of blood, traditionally a red robe with his blue over that and a gold band over his shoulder symbolizing the priesthood because he's going to be the perfect high priest, the eternal high priest who's going to do the perfect sacrifice. And then the Holy Spirit wears green because that's the color of new life and regeneration. The psalmist says, send forth your spirit. They are created and renew the face of the earth. So the Trinity is there. They all look the same. Faces are all the same. They're neither male or female. They're pure spirit. They each have a staff because they each have authority as God. They're three separate persons, but their heads are all inclined to one another in the most beautiful, loving uh, embrace of their eyes. They are co-equals in majesty and glory. And behind each is a item, a house, a tree, and a rock. And Rublev, scholars have called this the Johannine Pentecost, and it's the chapter we're studying tonight, the promise of the Holy Spirit after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. My father's house has many rooms. We heard that. The house is behind the father. We heard that in John 14. The sun is the vine, the tree of life in the garden, the new cross, the true vine. And the spirit is the rock that the water gushed from with Moses. When it's a cracked rock, actually. Cracked the rock and the water gushed forth the water of life. And the table is Abraham's altar, four corners, all the north, south, east, west. It's an altar with a single chalice. In the chalice is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the sun, besides the sun hand on the table, the Holy Spirit's hand is on the table. And the Holy Spirit is going to be given over. When Jesus dies on the cross in John 19, he gives up his spirit. The Dewey Rhyme says he gives over his ghost. And the Holy Spirit, who's invoked at Mass, is going to be the one he's pointing to that can change that bread and wine into the body and blood of the Lord. So the sun in this painting, originally it was one finger pointing to the Holy Spirit. And when this uh, someone restored this painting, they couldn't understand why it was just one finger, so they put two fingers, meaning a blessing in the Orthodox. 
but because he just couldn't understand. But really, Rublev meant one. The father and son, their job's done, and they're pointing to the Holy Spirit. It's time for him to take over. We're now in the age of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor can't come. And so they're pointing. he's pointing at the Holy Spirit. He has yet to drink that chalice. And just a beautiful painting, a lot of room for thought and contemplation to pray with this painting. But the three of them are a circle. And the Spirit goes through Jesus, back to the Father. The Father sent Jesus, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And and there's room for us to come into their circle. (laughs) There's room for us to come on in. Okay. He spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. Did he ever? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord, said Micah. Zechariah said the Lord sent his Spirit through the prophets. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say when I send you out. The Spirit of your Father is going to speak through you. Peter was giving an impassioned speech full of the Holy Spirit. He said that God foretold everything through the prophets. Stephen, before he was stoned, he said, oh, you stiff-necked people, you never listen to the Holy Spirit. Which of the prophets of your ancestors did you not persecute? Paul, in his final defense for his life, says the Holy Spirit was right, exactly right, in saying through Isaiah that you never listen, you don't understand, you don't look, you don't perceive. Last thing, in a little while, you're no longer going to see me, said Jesus. And then again, in a little while, you will see me. And some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying this? A little while, you're no longer going to see me. Then a little while, you are going to see me because I'm going to the Father. And they said, what, what does he mean by this? What is he talking about? And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. He said, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said in a little while, you're no longer seeing me, in a little while, you are going to see me? Well, he's going to use the birth analogy and the travails of labor and birth. And I know all you men really enjoy this. And, and, and I'm kidding, but it's such a good analogy. Because once you go into labor, there is no turning back. He is going into something that's going to be really, really, really hard, and there's no turning back. But it's it's, it's going to be something really good, but we got to get through this part first. And the hour has come, and there's no turning back. And very truly, I tell you that you're going to weep and mourn, but the world's going to rejoice, and you will have pain. But your pain will turn into joy. I promise, I promise, I promise. When a woman's in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when a child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. He's going to birth all of us in these waters of baptism. He's got to get through this, though. You're going to have pain now, but you will see again in your hearts, and you're going to rejoice, and no one's going to be able to take that joy away from you. When we see the joy of the resurrection, when Mary sees the joy of the resurrection, she's just, ah, joy, joy, joy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, the true vine, the blessing and the birthright through the cross, the wood of the cross, the wood of the vine, we venerate you, Lord Jesus. We glorify you because by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have taken us back to the Father. Ah, we get it now. We get it. We get it. Thank you, St. Patrick. Oh, Jesus, Trinity, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 16, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.